Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time, but this week we're bringing you a bonus episode. Our previous episode for Season 1, Episode 11, Formality, co-hosted by Ashby Brame, was too long for just one episode, so we broke off some of our favorite bits for this bonus episode. There will be spoilers throughout, so beware, first-time watchers. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, Full Moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. Now let's jump into this bonus episode with a discussion about the awesomeness of fandom. One of fandom's really great things is our ability to just like over time desensitize other people to fandom <laughs> right yeah. yeah to slowly just normalize but surely it a little bit wear them down right like I've watched it happen in Supernatural over the last like decade plus to everyone who's ever been in Supernatural they're like yeah shippers shipping fan fiction fan art we don't care it's cool it's ever you know like maybe we are together like <laughs> just I love it. I love it so much. It's very different. I mean, I think that's a pretty recent turn of events because fandom used to be definitely something that you did secretly in the shadows. For sure. For sure. I remember um, the first time I ever comprehended what fandom was and what it was going to become with the internet as I I was this like nerdy kid in a high school in a small town with a graduating class of like 125. And I was the nerd with her nose and Harry Potter and no one cared and no one was into it. And I had no one to talk to. And I discovered MuggleNet and I was like, oh, these are where my people are. Like, here's a whole like cadre of, of, like-minded individuals that I can talk to and like be so into Harry Potter with and I you know obviously like that took on a life of its own into like live journal and then like tumblr and then AO3 oh yeah I had I used to help write I learned how to html code so that I can help I could help write a Adam Lambert Chris Allen newsletter on live journal weekly (sighs) That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot what it was called. It was probably called something like Kratom News or whatever. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to admit that on our podcast. You're welcome. I've never (laughs) never told anybody that. (laughs) That's okay. Well, Team Wolf, uh, I'm sure I've mentioned this before on another episode, but Team Wolf was my first fandom. Like, it was the first time I actually immersed myself into... um, into fandom, you know, because, you know, I'd liked stuff all my life, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and stuff like that. But I was just like, well, that was a good book. The end, you know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, my mom liked Harry, my mom likes Harry Potter and my dad likes Lord of the Rings. And, and I worked with people at a video store who liked these things, but that was it. That was as far as it went. I never imagined, you know, I knew about conventions and stuff, but I didn't know that there were communities. 
about right fan, that fandom was community that you know and so it wasn't until it wasn't until I worked on Teen Wolf that uh and when all those Teen Wolf fans found my Twitter you know that I actually was oh these are people there are, there are people who watch the show and and you know I knew that but it was just like that there are people who love the thing and they all right. get together and talk about it and it's been a blast it's just plus yeah. we, we would be talking to him and then we'd kind of have to pause and explain the lingo a little bit you know like the first time we ever used the word ship in front of him it was like wait right what I got all yeah. wide and excited because he loves ships in general so he thought we were taking talking about you know a boat but then he's like oh right it's just a right, relationship right. yeah it takes it I mean there's like a whole vernacular like AUs and RPF and I mean right. you have to you have to figure it all out <laughs> it's a steep learning curve yeah. it is it is yeah. but it's fantastic it's it's completely wonderful because again it's a community you know right it's people who just love something and they yeah like and I I love it because it's so I mean it's it's like it's like if you're not in fandom, then you're only looking at a part of the screen, you know? So like the, what's available to you is this like massive thing and you're looking at it through like this tiny lens. And so sometimes I have to remind myself when I interact with people who are like fans of things that I realize pretty quickly, I'm like, oh, you literally just read the book or you just watched the movie and you're a fan of that book or that movie, but you're not in fandom. So all you know is the source material in the source medium. And then, and then I come in and like, ah, Tumblr theories, you know, and people are like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, n- you know, never mind. It's yeah. <laughs> Especially I feel like with canon versus fanon, I feel like I kind of have to stop and be like, did that really happen? Or is that something that we all collectively decided probably happened? Oh yeah, because you yes. are ex- you end up experiencing it's like an iceberg, right? That like the canon is is what you can see above the water, and fandom is what's below the water, which can be as Will found out when um, they located his Twitter can be very scary. And oh yeah, I feel, feel like oh no, I'm the Titanic. But <laughs> yeah, I feel for writers and actors who don't know what they're getting into and and like stumble into things, and I I'm just like I what what is what it must be like to be like inundated with something like that and to have to like figure out your way through it so like hats off to you will for <laughs> for even being willing to try <laughs> i mean it was a lot of fun but i mean i just you know i'm basically just like that gif of someone stepping on a rake every step that's <laughs> right. basically yes. been my interaction with fandom forever yes. is just uh i just mess up <laughs> constantly but like you have the grace to to constantly try and like mess up and try again and I I mean because I I feel bad for the writers especially because when when something goes wrong on a tv show from the fandom perspective like when a step is taken that we did not foresee and that we're don't we don't like and that you know something you know the show zigs and we wanted it to zag that's the first group of people that get ire is the writer's room like you did this you screwed it up and it I don't think it's fair necessarily but that's what happens (laughs) oh it's definitely not fair but I mean it it all comes from a place of love like I mean nobody gets angry about stuff they don't like I mean I'm sure maybe there are people who do but you know where it's just like it's all it's a community and so people love this thing and they want to talk about it and you know, as you're, as you're, as the story's unfolding for you, like in a serialized fashion where you don't just have like the whole book, it's like, oh, I read the book, you know, oh, it's great. 
you know, it's like you're watching it a week at a time and you have six other days to talk about it with people. It's like, oh, I hope this thing happens. What if this happens? This could be the thing. And and then it's like, well, that, that's not what's happening, you know, and then you can, you know, get upset about that because you like ideas, you know, you like the idea that 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 something could happen on the show. And, and, and then when it doesn't happen, I can understand that frustration. Yeah. But also at the same time, it's like, I've been on the other side. I'm like, we wrote that like six months ago. Right. You know, it's like, this isn't, and you they know, and they were filming it the next day. Right? Right, I like, think that that's something we talked about with uh, Angela Harvey, one of, one of the writers, when we interviewed um, her. Is that you know she was talking about there's a gap of understanding between fans and creators when it comes to what the process is actually like, especially for something like Teen Wolf, where the budget was minuscule and. There were, there were just a lot of different kinds of constraints, time constraints, monetary constraints. So, you know, there were times where they were writing and it was like, you know, we're, we're filming this tomorrow. So there, there's no more time to stare at it for hours and analyze it, which is what fans have the luxury of doing. But I think the other benefit of fandom is that we do have the luxury of doing that. So even if the story zigs in a way that we feel like it shouldn't have done, it's like, oh, well, I'll, I'm sure that there will be 500 fix it fix on AO3 by Tuesday. You know, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. and I'll just yeah. enjoy that. Right. Well, and I also think that one of the things that fandoms like hyper, hyper attention has done to some franchises is it has elevated to a certain extent, the awareness of to what detail things need to be planned out. And so like I was noticing just recently, um, I watched the first episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, you know, they show like, I don't, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a, there's a close up on a prop item. And maybe 10 years ago, that would have been like a throwaway prop item. But now I think there's an awareness that fans will pause on that mm -hmm. screen so that they can read every single thing that is written in that prop item. And if it is not correct or to spec or accurate to the canon of the show, they will have something to say about it. And so yep. productions have to be, and it's not just the writer's room, like everyone in the production has to be smart, smarter about things like that because everything is being like picked apart in the best way, in the sense that like, we are that interested, you know, right. like viewers right. have gotten smarter in that sense. We and I think it, it, it elevates, it elevates the products to the level of art because of people, you know, something, especially something like Teen Wolf, which I feel like people went into it thinking this is going to be ridiculous. Right. Well, cause it's MTV. <laughs> and it's called Teen Wolf, about which is like wolves. right silly and you know you think of like the the 80s movie and everything that which right. the tone is very very different um but when you have people studying it so closely and treating it like it can be analyzed the way a piece of literature can be analyzed Yes, that does mean that it's going under a microscope and that can be really hard for the people creating it because you can work really hard on something and then have someone tear it apart. But the, the flip side of that though, is that something that would have been ridiculed and maybe even was when it very first came on 
it's elevated to the level of art because if people take the time to write essays about it, you know, then that must mean that there are enough layers to it that it's worth analyzing. That makes it feel like something um, that's, that's just a higher level of quality, I feel right. like. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, jumping back uh, just for a second, like what you were talking about, like, you know, people will freeze frame everything. I feel like Teen Wolf was right at the, at the end of that phase when you could really put anything like in paperwork or something. That the, I feel like Teen Wolf, the first season at least, was right at the end of that when it's like, it doesn't matter. It's just paperwork, you know, that someone is rifling through. And it's like, nope, nope. We got caught a couple of times where it's just like some of the stuff that's in that paperwork doesn't either make sense or it's like, it's not can't, like it doesn't line up with other stuff. And a right. lot of that had to do with, the main thing that had to do with is we just didn't have time. There was never right. time. Cause I mean, like that means a writer has to leave the writer's room and go sit with the props department and be like, okay, these are the files that are going to be in there that we're flipping through what right. need to be to be correct. Right. And it's like, well, right. I could take hours. It's like, I need to be in the room working right. with the other writers. And it's just like, just make something. Yeah. Because it's again, like, we're shooting tomorrow. And right. Are, and, <laughs> right. And yeah. It's time and money to be like, these um, hospital intake forms don't have Styles' correct birthday on them. And they're going to notice that. <laughs> they are. They are. And we, and, you know, and we got, we got nailed to the wall a couple of times for some of that, but I, we just did the best we could <laughs> under the time limits, under the I constraints we that. were working on, you know, and it's, <laughs> it, there was never, I, I will tell you with 100% truth and accuracy, there was, we, no one ever said, just do whatever. Right. Like where it was just like, we'll talk about this as long as we can, but at some point you just have to go and it has to be the thing. Yes. And we have to move on. And that's yes. just the way it works because that's how yeah. television works. Yes. Especially with television. And, you know, it's a, it's a different medium than movies and there's a, it's much more fast paced, I think. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, we, so. like we, we talked to, I think it was with Russell or, or Jeff, I'm not, I can't remember who, but it's like, we're making a movie every single week. Right. And yeah. Just, and we only have a week of prep time. So while mm -hmm. half of the crew is working on an episode, the other half is prepping the very next episode. Right. And so you're constantly churning it out. And right. Yeah. But for fans, does all of that hard work lend itself more to watching week by week with everyone or binging an entire season of a TV show all in one weekend? I know which one I prefer. That's the, that's the whole spirit of binging. It's great to feel like you don't have to wait a whole week nope. or yes. like God, God forbid a hiatus to figure out what happens next. Oh yeah. man. Kids these days will never know. They'll never uh, know. They'll never know. <laughs> I remember being on Tumblr and seeing people's wish lists of like, okay, we're all facing a hiatus. Now we're all going to do our part. If you do fan art, you got to do fan art. If you do fanfic, right. you got to write your fanfic because we're all going to need each other to get through this hiatus. I, I mean, I could be speaking totally out of turn because I don't know, I really don't know the history of this, but I feel like, uh, like thick bangs, like big bangs and stuff came out of hiatus, right? Like that was the idea is that. I think I believe so. so. Yeah. Right. Is that you would, you would have these instances of trying to create a lot of work all at one time so that there would be things to keep everyone occupied over these like long breaks, which is interesting. When we didn't have our stories. That's right. Gotta make it up. Gotta make it up. Yeah. Yep. 
Oh, I love Big Bangs. I love how she's like, the writers got a lot of steric fan we, art. Like, like the, fans, the fans were like, here's my vision board. This is what you should do. <laughs> right. No, we did. We got, um because they would send stuff to MTV and MTV would pass it along to us. And so we got- um, That's great. Fantastic artwork. And we also got letters from fans. I actually have pictures of Jeff reading out fan letters and stuff that were just wonderful that just fans who love the show and it was it was quite wonderful so, when those arrived you know timeline aside I feel like Will my my big question for you as someone who's not who doesn't understand the Hollywood machine and Adorable. who's you know uh I know right it's a little ingenue over here so yeah I feel like my question is, for you is like what what would the writer's room like fandom to know like now that you've you're a, you are a writer and you've been in fandom other than the whole timeline thing like I, I just feel like you know I've always been of the mindset that like whatever I wanted to happen was like my own personal responsibility and I mm-hmm. could find that through fan art and stuff and that yeah right writing a letter saying that like I really think that you guys should put Allison and Jackson together because here's a bullet point list of like why it makes <laughs> sense is yeah. that ever going to convince a writer room to be like you know what this person is right. We should do that. Like, does anything ever end up in a TV show because someone wrote even a well-meaning letter pleading their case? I can only speak for Teen Wolf and the answer is never. Exactly. The moment we would get a letter or something and start reading it and then realize what they were saying, we threw it away because for legal reasons, we can't read it in case we're like, oh my God, this is such a weird idea. And then three seasons later, our subconscious, it's still in there somewhere and we think it's our idea. So for legal reasons, anytime we got something like that, it immediately had to be thrown away just because Viacom didn't want to get sued. Okay, interesting. It would never be a thing because we just legally could never take someone's idea. Even Even if the person was like, I will never sue you. I want you to have this idea. You don't even have to give me credit. We still, it's just not a thing that can happen because people change their minds. Right, of course, and of course, that's just the way it is. Um, That's so interesting, and I feel like it's really important for people to know. But and it also reminds me of um, I'm super into like music documentaries and Mm -hmm. music biographies and autobiographies, and um, it's very interesting that uh, uh, oh, hold on, let me. George Harrison, George Mm -hmm. Harrison with the Beatles, was sued over one of his songs. and I can't remember the name of the band and I can't remember the song, but the story stuck with me because he swore up and down that it wasn't, it wasn't flagrant and it wasn't on purpose. And if there had been any kind of, you know, copying that it must've been that he maybe heard their song on the radio and it like filtered into his subconscious. And then that melody kind of like filtered into his song. And he did end up having to like give them some money or some kind Mm -hmm. of royalty, but it, that court case changed the way that he wrote and produced music. And from then on, if he was working on a record or he was working on songs, he refused during that time period to listen to the radio. And so it, it was so interesting to me that, you know, just sort of this idea that without even knowing in your creative process, you might be able to like subconsciously take on ideas and then be held responsible for them. So it, it, that sort of reminded me of that story with George Harrison. That's really interesting. Yeah. I actually have a question for you, Will, okay. now that you bring that up. 
Was it legally okay you read our spec script? Probably script. not. What script? Probably not. I can't but... even think about that. I mean, I haven't thought about that for like in se the seven years since our, we started. Probably not. The legality of reading spec scripts aside, I think one of the things that makes a fandom so strong and so vibrant with people who love a particular story is their love for the characters in that story. We love seeing characters go through great trials and tribulations, and we love seeing how they begin their stories and how they end their stories. The arcs that take them through their story are so much fun to watch and to read, and Teen Wolf is full of great arcs like that. Ashby, what do you think of some of the interpersonal character arcs on Teen Wolf, especially between Scott and Styles? They're really like the heart of the show, and I know that Jeff always felt like their relationship was the central relationship of the show, the real love story there, without them actually being like in love. The bromance. The bromance, the bromance. of the show. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Season five is where we have that like gut wrenching, like confrontation about like yeah. some people are human, some people, you know, have to protect like that whole fight between them, which is just like one of my favorite scenes of the whole series for how well it's done and how well it was written and how well it was acted, even though it it's like super painful to watch. Scott is clearly the hero, right? He's the main character. He's the guy who has like the through line of like the very rigid moral compass. And I think that this is the first time we realized that Styles is a little bit more than the sidekick, that he's going to start very subtly through his actions and his decisions also sort of altering how things happen. It's really easy to love the hero but every politician has, this is a really terrible way to put it, but like has like his wet works guy behind him, you know? So like Definitely. someone's, someone's got to get dirty, you know? Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's always seems to be styles. I love that styles exist in the gray area because I think it's really easy to like characters who are just very good and always will be very good or very bad and will always be very bad. But I think styles is more a reflection of who we are as humans that like we make wrong decisions for the right reasons and we make right decisions for the wrong reasons and it's just always really interesting. It is kind of hard to tell at what point Styles came up with this idea that that Derek took the phone and that they could use that to find him but I feel like we do see a hint of that earlier in the season in Co-Captain when he kind of gets his dad drunk oh yeah, right, yeah. and there's there's like a moment where the look on his where I actually he might even make a comment like I'm going to hell mm -hmm. yeah where he's kind of like weighing the pros and cons of doing something that isn't great right for the right reason yeah and one of the reasons I think because we the three of us have talked about this a lot about Scott's moral code and why Scott has a hard time communicating ethical decisions with other characters, because I feel like he's one of the few characters that thinks this way. He feels like everyone can be saved if we just wish hard enough. You know, like one of the things that I find interesting about the interactions between Derek and Styles is be because I think that Derek and Styles both feel like that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, that yeah. like, because Derek fails at most of the things that he sets out to do. Hashtag fail wolf. <laughs> Hashtag fail wolf. <laughs> but his reasoning is usually like, I sincerely think that this is the most efficient way to minimize bloodshed. Right. And I understand yes. that I'm going to have to get my hands dirty to make that happen. And I think Styles 
very much thinks the same way. You know, right. he's like, I need this information from my dad. Right. I know he's not going to give it to me sober. I have this bottle of whiskey here and I know how to make this happen. And right. I feel like yeah. shit about it, but right. it, it needs to be done. Like you said, that's that's sort of a, a trope that we see with Scott is that you can tell yourself that there's always a way to do it without ever getting your hands dirty, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it true. And Throughout the show, we see both Derek and Styles, I think, kind of following behind him, doing the things that it takes to, to tie it up. Right. Yeah. Like, we see it in season two when Scott's like, oh, we'll just, like, we'll just restrain the canima and it'll be fine. And Derek's like, well, what happens if he gets away? He's just going to murder more people. And Scott's like, no, he won't. It's fine. And he gets away and murders more people. That's exactly what happens, right? And it's like, well, I hope you feel really good about yourself sitting there thinking like I didn't kill the canima and I'm so good but now 15 other people are dead because you didn't want to do it and like I I think that is one of the differences between them is like neither Derek nor Styles thinks that they're a hero and that kind of frees them up to do things that aren't great for the right reasons yeah right right and it's also interesting that they don't like one another because it seems like even though there's this like animosity between Styles and Derek you know they are the two people in Scott's life that when Scott's like this is what we're gonna do they're out there like okay that's great Scott but meanwhile in reality over here you're <laughs> gonna be dealing with a whole different set of issues right <laughs> It is kind of fascinating. And I remember reading, it was, I can't take credit for the thought. I just remember reading probably on Tumblr somewhere where someone had commented that Derek and Styles both measure their sense of self-worth in terms of their utility to other people. Yeah. That whenever someone asks Derek, why should I help you? He always answers because you need me. And in situations where they're not able to help, they both feel like that is what failure is, that they just can't figure out how to help. And we have that really beautiful scene in season two at the lacrosse game where, you know, Styles says like, I can't protect people. I can't do it. And even though there are other things that he can do and does do throughout the show, he feels like he's failed because he's not enough. He's not useful enough to other people. I think they have that in common too. They kind of have very similar core values when you get down to it, but opposite personalities. Yes. And then, so you just get a lot of like conflict there. I don't know if that was a seed being planted so early on, but it's still, even if it wasn't, it's still interesting that, because you're right, the way that scene plays out, it's not like, at least the way it's played on Styles' face, it's not a eureka moment. It's a, I have to give information. Like he's like revealing something that he already knew. It could be, if that is the interpretation we want to go with, that he's was protecting Scott. That it's like, to protect Scott, I have to keep him away from Derek, who has been caught by the bad guys. Right. And if he goes right. to save Derek, they might cut him in half. Right. You know, that, that's what right. could happen here. And it's like, I don't want my best friend to die, especially for someone who's been mean to me for right. the last few months, you know? And and so, but it, it is. And if if that's the way we want to look at it, that, it, that he is revealing to Peter information he had. I mean, it's still nuanced and interesting. Right. That Styles would sit on information to save right. his best friend's life. To Scott, no one is expendable. But to Styles, in this moment, Derek's kind of expendable. So, yeah. You know, there is, though, a, a, just to throw a little wrinkle in it, Scott has a really interesting 
blind spot when it comes to Allison mm-hmm. because Allison kind of loses her damn mind in season two. Yeah. Yeah. And like the only reason Allison didn't kill a bunch of people in season two is because she tried and it didn't work. <laughs> like it, not for lack of trying on her right. part. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, if you think about Magic Bullet, when Derek explains how the Argents set the hailfire to kill all those people. He was like, well, they probably had a reason, right? Which is in such stark contrast to what we see later with Styles and Scott, where Styles has a really good reason. (laughs) Right. You know, and he and he's just kind of like, but is it a good enough reason, Styles? We don't kill people. Right. And it, it is just kind of like interesting because with Scott and Styles, there's a reckoning between them over that difference. There's never really a reckoning between Scott and Allison over that sequence of events. It's just kind of like, all right, let's never talk about this again. (laughs) Right. Let's pretend it didn't happen. You'll talk about Dark Allison. Everyone knows this. Right. Like, it's just... It's just kind of interesting that Scott just has her on such a pedestal. Right. That she could actively stab his classmates in the back 17 times and he's like she's perfect though right yeah <laughs> look at how hot she is oh my god she's so hot yeah I really I mean love is blind I suppose but yeah. I do I do feel like one of Scott's character flaws is this pedestal that he ends up putting Allison on and that he really does see her to the detriment of like not seeing everyone else. I mean, mm-hmm. we get into season two and, you know, Styles gets the living hell be out of him by Gerard and Scott's off, you know, trying to save Allison or whatever. You didn't even realize that your best friend was missing. And right. so I feel like it does end up being sort of unfortunate that Styles really puts Scott on a pedestal sometimes to his own detriment, just like Scott puts Allison on a pedestal to his detriment. And I just think it is really interesting that a lot of the reasons that I end up in early seasons getting annoyed at Scott is about Allison. And it's just like, look, Allison's doing Allison, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> move on, you know? Yeah. So that is really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, that, but the Allison really sort of broke the rules first. And he was like, that's okay. You know, you were like in a really bad headspace with your mom and like, I forgive you or whatever. And then <laughs> Styles does it. And he was like, you are dead to me. Which is interesting because they're both, I mean, in Styles' case, it, it was self-defense, but also, you know, there was in, I think, the back of his mind, protecting his dad. Right. Yes. But Scott isn't like, you know, I get it. You have one surviving parent and like, right. that's going to be super, super important to you. That logic just doesn't apply to style. It just doesn't apply to anybody who's not Allison, really. Yeah. Well, and to also be fair to Scott, I mean, it, you know, they talk about it later. And part of the issue is that Scott doesn't understand the situation. He doesn't understand mm-hmm. that that Donovan was trying to kill Styles. He doesn't understand that that Styles also felt like not only was he in danger, but his father was in danger. And later when they talk about it and Scott gets the whole story, you know, he says like, if we had only talked longer, if we had only spoken more, if we had only communicated better. And then one of them says, well, like that, you know, Theo knew we, we wouldn't. And that's how he got between us or whatever. So when Scott finally gets the whole story, 
he forgives Styles, but it is really interesting that like it sometimes there does seem to be this double standard in Scott's mind. Right. Basically, I think they all just need to go to talk therapy and learn how to communicate with other people effectively and like not get defensive and not jump to conclusions, but just have honest conversations with other people. I love in fan fictions where they write about weekly pack meetings. And I'm like, these people know the value of good communication. (laughs) We should be having weekly pack meetings. That's right. That we got so old business. Pick. We got new business. Right. That's like, right. Yes. Everybody's got to report in on what's right. going on in their lives. They definitely should have had weekly get togethers and just mm-hmm. be like, so what's been going on, everybody? <laughs> what have you discovered? Are there monsters yeah. out there? Has anyone been seeing someone who might not actually mm-hmm. be there in real life because it's an implant in their head? I don't know. What's yeah. happening? Meetings so. are a, a very good like tenet of PacFic where it's like mm-hmm. everyone, it's like everyone has a role, everyone's on the same page, everyone's meeting, like they're doing border patrols of Beacon Hills and mm-hmm. like it's on point. And I'm sure they I patrol love the preserve. That's also mm-hmm. a, a huge uh-huh. tenet of yes. PacFic is they patrol the preserve for any previously unknown threats mm-hmm. that could yeah. be lurking out there. Yep. That yeah. would have been um, perfect. I'd love to see Cora and Lydia just out mm. there on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I ship Cora yeah. Lydia. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait yeah. till we get there. Yes. Nice. I can see that. I can see yes, that. So. <laughs> That concludes this week's bonus episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. And a great thank you again to Ashby Brain for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Ashby. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. But before we dive into Season 2 and the further adventures of Scott McCall and his friends, we're bringing you a taste of what our awesome patrons have been getting all season. Next week, you'll get our bonus episode where we discuss what could have happened if Styles had been bitten by the Alpha instead of Scott in the pilot. And the week after that, we're bringing you our video interview with Jeff Davis, the creator and showrunner of Teen Wolf that was previously only seen by our awesome alpha patrons. We hope these sneak peeks at the content we're creating at Patreon will entice you to get the bite and join the pack. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.